922 of the Pew Bible, if that's what you've got in front of you. Um, as always, we'll do some Q&R at the end. So if you have questions, you can go to slider.com and type in RevCDA in the prompt and ask your question there. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll get going. Lord God, you are good to us. We have been rescued, redeemed, uh, our being transformed will be glorified one day. These promises in your word are true, are real. We can count on them, we can rely on them. God, we confess that we don't always feel like that's happening. We're plagued by doubts and fears. We put our identity in things that are not ultimate, that are not you. We get sidetracked daily from the mission that you have us on. God, I just pray that this morning you would tune our hearts to your spirit, that we would hear your voice speak through your word. God, I pray for your people specifically this morning in Israel, Palestine. God, at two nations at war with Christians on both sides of the conflict. In addition to that, uh, the, the church in, in Armenia and Azerbaijan and Ukraine and Russia and, and multiple other battlefields around this world, we, we are so grateful for the peace that we experience freedom that we have to gather, to worship, to just be who we are. God, I pray that your grace would be felt in those places, that you would supernaturally protect your people, and that they would be, by their just supernatural reliance on who you are, would be a witness to their neighbors in the midst of suffering, of your goodness and your faithfulness. God, may, may it never be the case that we experience that, but if we, if we are to, I pray that you would cultivate those things and prepare us for the day when that may be a reality. God, open your word to us this morning and teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, it is fall in North Idaho. It was very warm this weekend. I enjoyed myself. We went apple picking. Good times. Um, but it's also getting dark outside. It's not, it's not daylight until like 10 anymore. It's getting a little bit darker each day. And this is a problem because I have a vitamin D deficiency. And when it gets dark, I get sad. I don't know if any of, any of you are like this. If you ask my wife, I'm generally sad all the time. It just gets worse in the winter. And uh, so I take vitamin D supplements. And uh, the problem with vitamin D supplements or the challenge with vitamin D supplements is they take a while to kick in. Uh, everything I've read says it takes about four to six weeks to like build up from a vitamin D sufficiency to get to normal numbers. And so I usually take them all year long. And I 
I stopped this summer for some reason, and so I'm behind. So if I talk to you and I'm a little bit sad, it's just it's just vitamin D. It's not a problem. <laughs> the thing about that supplement, though, is that it is, it's not a like one-time fix. You know, there's things that you can take into your body and they immediately affect change. You notice the effects of it right away. And then there's other things, other ways that we care for ourselves that just have to be kind of on repeat continually in order to build us up a certain way. We're on week four on our series on spiritual disciplines that we're calling Transformation. We have posited that as Christians, we are being called to be transformed into the image of Jesus as we walk with him. And today, we're going to talk about, for the first of two weeks, the subject of prayer. This week, we're going to talk about rhythms of prayer in our lives, and next week, we're going to talk about the practice of continual prayer. And if if you've been around the church for any amount of time, if you're a Christian here this morning, you you know that prayer is just kind of one of those things that we're supposed to do. We're Christians. We pray. Martin Luther says, it is as, as it is the business of tailors to make clothes and of cobblers to mend shoes, so it is the business of Christians to pray. And maybe that's inspiring to you, but also maybe it's depressing. Like, thanks, Martin, for that burden. Hopefully that won't be the case by the end of this morning. We could talk about prayer together for days. We could talk about what prayer is, how to pray, why we pray. But specifically, we're talking about being transformed into people that are more and more like Jesus. And my uh, thought this morning is that prayer ends up being a lot like vitamin D. You need to make a regular habit of it. You need to continually process it, participate in it. And over time, you will begin to notice its effects. This morning, I've got three big ideas from this text in Luke that I think if we make into a habit in our life, we'll become one of the most powerful means of transformation into Christ-likeness for all of us. But before we get into them, I want to briefly talk about what a habit is. This applies to all of the spiritual disciplines. We want to be people who habitually do things. And when we talk about prayer, in a few weeks we're going to talk about Bible reading. Man, it's way more fun in there, isn't it? <laughs> um, we would want to say, like, there are, there are things that you should be doing daily, right? Um, I grew up in an uh, environment where in Sunday school I, we recited, read God's word and pray every day and you will grow, grow, Right? Anybody know that? And I think that's true, right? We want to be people who have a daily habit of of engaging with the Lord. But I want to give us some grace here. Because if you're in a place today where maybe your prayer life is not so good, going from zero to every day might be really hard. And it might be the case that you, you do it for three or four days and then you fail. And then you feel bad, and you get discouraged, and you give up. And then it's six months from now, and you're like, man, I should really try to do that prayer thing again. Laura Vanderkam, in her work on habit building, says that three times a week is a habit. 
And I want to, I want us to to remember that as we continue to talk about these disciplines. If you want to have a regular practice of something, try to work towards getting it to three times a week. Maybe daily is a goal, but a few times a week is a habit. So what does habitual rhythmic prayer look like? In Luke 11, I want to talk about how we're being called to pray regularly, how we're being called to pray the prayers, which I'll talk about in a minute, and how we're being called to pray expectantly. So first of all, pray regularly. Luke 11.1, he was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. Now, maybe this is obvious to everyone, but Jesus was a person who prayed enough so that his disciples thought he might be able to teach them how to do it. Like, nobody comes to me and says, Zach, will you please teach me jujitsu? Why? Well, because one, I do not know jujitsu, and that spills into the fact that no one has ever seen me do jujitsu, right? I'm not going to be able to do that for you. Why did they assume Jesus could teach them to pray? Because they constantly saw Jesus praying. Just a a few examples. Mark 1, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, went out, and made his way to a deserted place, and there he was praying. Luke 5, but the news about him spread even more, and large crowds would come together to hear him and be healed of their sicknesses, yet he often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. Matthew 14, after dismissing the crowds, he went up on a mountain by himself to pray. Well into the night, he was there alone. Luke 9, while he was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? There are something like 30 times in the Gospels that the authors make mention that Jesus prayed, often by saying that prayer was his regular habit. He would often go out and do this. And Jesus isn't alone in this. Regular prayer times were a standard part of Jewish faith practice. This is one of the things that I love about the TV show, The Chosen. They're constantly bringing up the fact that that Jesus and the disciples just have these rhythms of prayer. They get up in the morning and they pray, and they go to bed at night and they pray, and they just, they have these habits that they have created. And this is something that the Jewish religious leaders taught the people to do. Jews of the first century prayed three times a day, and it comes from a couple passages in the scriptures. Psalm 57 says, I complain and groan morning, noon, and night, and he hears my voice. In Daniel 6, we read that when Daniel learned that the document had been signed, he went into his house. The windows in its upstairs room were open toward Jerusalem, and three times a day he got down on his knees, prayed, and gave thanks to his God, just as he had done before. And so the Jewish leaders would say, because of these scriptures, we should be people that have regular hours of prayer. And so the early Christians, based on what they learned from their rabbi Jesus, they do the same thing. In Acts 3, we read Peter and John are going up to the temple for the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. There's a document called the Didache, which was written uh, at the very latest about the year 100, maybe even earlier than that, and it was a, a church manual. It's not in the Bible, but it was a document that was written to help churches understand how to do life together. And in the Didache, it says, pray in this way, our Father is who is in heaven, then it, it lists the Lord's Prayer, and then it says, pray in this way three times each day. So the early church learned from Jesus the practice of regular prayer at multiple points throughout the day. In my tradition growing up, we had uh, what's called uh, 
like morning quiet time. And that's when you, you find like a rustic wooden table and a cup of coffee and a journal and a Bible and you, you take a picture of it. That's that you've been in your experience of quiet time? Is that how that works? The, the process of getting up in the morning to be with the Lord has been a habit that has been encouraged for Christians forever. And that's a great place to start. But what would it look like to schedule prayer in the middle of the day and before bed? Maybe some, some might say scheduling prayer seems somehow inauthentic. Right? And I, I think about this with regard to the way my wife and I dated as teenagers versus the way that we date after 21 years of marriage. When we were teenagers, it was, hey, what are you doing right now? I just got off work. You want to hang out? Yeah, sure. I'm not doing anything. And now it's like, hey, we need to get a date night on the calendar like two weeks from tomorrow and find a babysitter because we haven't connected in a long time. We're, we're in the middle of this right now. We're, we're having a, we've, our rhythms have all fallen apart in our house. And so we, we're trying to rebuild them. But the work that we do in our marriage to be purposeful about connection is a demonstration of how much we care about the relationship. Pete Grieg says, just as an enduring marriage must be built on consistent rhythms and routines, so too our relationship with God survives and thrives only through disciplines such as Bible study, fellowship, confession, and prayer. The reality is, is you will not sustain a fruitful relationship with God in prayer if you only pray when you feel like it. A lot of us maybe will push back against the idea of regular scheduled times of prayer, not because we don't like it, but because it just seems too hard. I don't have time for that sort of thing in my day. And I would say, yeah, you do. We all have been given the same amount of time every day, and we've also been given the choice about how to use it. And we don't have to make it complicated. My, my current prayer practice is that if, if I am on my game, I get up in the morning a little bit early and I pray for about 30 minutes. Now, I have to get up when my alarm goes off to do that. But I make space for that early in the morning. At, at noon, I have an alarm on my phone that says, hey, it's noon. Pray the Lord's Prayer. And it doesn't matter what I'm doing. I just do it. Yesterday, we were at the park, my wife and my daughter and I, and my noon alarm went off. And so we all just prayed the Lord's Prayer together. And in the evening at bedtime, when I'm already in bed and the day is over, I pray what's called a prayer of examine. This is a prayer that was developed by Ignatius of Loyola in the 1500s. And it's a, it's a way to reflect on your day, to find God in it, and to thank him for his faithfulness throughout those periods. Other than devoting about a half an hour in the morning to the Lord, those other prayer times just are part of the routine of my day, and they don't really take much extra time. Many of us in this room this morning are stay-at-home parents, uh, and, and a lot of times the pushback is like there's raising children, you don't get a break for that, from that, right? You don't ever get time off from that, and that gets in the way of times of prayer. One of my favorite examples of Pushing back against this is Susanna Wesley. Susanna was the mother of John and Charles Wesley, two men that transformed the church world in, in Europe and America. 
through their preaching and their hymns. And Susanna had 10 children. She actually had 19 children, and, and nine of them died in childhood. She had 10 survived. But she had a habit. She taught her children that when she sat down at the table and pulled her apron over her head, she was spending time with Jesus, and she was not to be disturbed. And her, her kids learned that I'm taking time to read my Bible and pray, and this is your sign to leave me alone. And she cultivated time for her own relationship with Christ to be nourished through prayer while simultaneously teaching her children how important it was. No matter what our particular life circumstances are, we can always find a reason why we don't have time to pray. Martin Luther again, guard yourself carefully against those false, deluding ideas which tells you, wait a little while, I will pray in an hour. First, I must attend to this or that. Such thoughts get you away from prayer into other affairs which so hold your attention and involve you that nothing comes of prayer all day. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. I sure have. Where I had really good intentions for spiritual practice in the day, and I just kept putting them off for whatever was pressing. And I got to the end of the day and realized I didn't do anything that I intended to do because I let the urgent things of the day get in the way. And I think at least personally, it's helpful for me to understand. Uh, Martin Luther says that we have these false, deluding ideas, and, and that strikes me as the work of the enemy. When we talk about this from time to time. We are combatants in a war, and they, we have an enemy. We have a spiritual, intelligent power and his minions who seek to destroy us. Keeping us busy, keeping us disconnected from the Lord is one of his tactics. I was at the, the Croc Center a couple weeks ago, and one of the guys working at the front desk, which I just thought was so great that they let him do this, is he was wearing a baseball cap that said, not today, Satan. And so it's a way to represent your faith at work. But that's such a beautiful reminder that there are going to be things that come to you, and they're going to be little things. They're not going to be like what we assume, you know, devil with the pitchfork stuff. It's going to be little things. Hey, like, you should probably do this later. This is more pressing. This other thing over here needs your attention. You can, you can spend time with the Lord later. These little attacks, these false ideas from the enemy are things that we need to say, not today, Satan, and push back against. Thomas Merton wrote, if you want a life of prayer, the way to get it is by praying. And as always, Jesus is our example here. He made rhythms in his life. He set aside time regularly to pray. The second point for prayer rhythms today is that we should be people that pray the prayers. What do I mean by that? In Luke 11, 2 through 4, Jesus teaches his disciples what we call the Lord's Prayer. We're not going to take a look at the content of this prayer this morning. When we began reciting it on Sunday mornings together, we did a short series through it in July of 2022. Those sermons are on the podcast if you are interested. But one of the things that we realized when we began saying the Lord's Prayer together was that Jesus actually taught his disciples to pray the Lord's Prayer. And, and I, I feel like a lot of times in our culture, our church culture, we suffer a lot from kind of an anti-Catholic bias. And what I mean by that is, is that we 
we recognize we are people of the Protestant Reformation. We pushed back against the Catholic Church in the Middle Ages. And there's some stuff that our Catholic brothers and sisters hold to that I would say, like, yeah, that's probably not right. But what that often turns into is a rejection of anything that seems like it's come from that tradition. And famously, Catholic Christians often recite the Lord's Prayer. But I think they got it right there because Jesus told us to pray this way. And so this prayer that Jesus tells us to pray, again, we're not going to go deeply into the content. It is jam-packed with really, really important truths that we have the opportunity to um, internalize if we are people who pray it. But the other thing that is important to see here is this is not a magical formula. I know this because there's two different versions of the prayer. We pray Matthew's longer version when we do it together on Sunday, and Luke's version is just a little bit different. So it's not that we have to say a series of magical words and and bring an incantation. We're not trying to control God. We're trying to be formed by his words. And I grew up in a tradition, and I think many of us maybe could say the same thing, where we just never thought of using someone else's words in our prayers. But this is at the core of the Jewish faith that Christianity sprang from. If you think about the Psalms, that's 150 prayers pre-written that the Jewish people recited at different points in their days, different seasons of their years. In Acts 2.42, we read, they devoted themselves, the new Christians, to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. The weird thing about most of our translations is that they don't translate this verse literally. What it actually says in Greek at the end is they devoted themselves to the prayers, specific plural prayers. That there there is a catalog of ideas that God has formed for us to use in our prayer life. And maybe you feel like that seems a little disingenuous. We have, we have a relationship with Jesus, not a religion. But I think when we ask the question, what, what is the intention of our prayer? We could a- answer that a lot of different ways. But in this series, we're talking about transformation. Using God's words in our prayers is a key to our transformation. Remember, we've talked about Dallas Willard's framework, VIM, vision, intention, means, that we are going to be people that have a vision for what it's like to be transformed, to be more like Jesus. We have to to have that picture in our minds if we want to change. We have to have the intention. We have to make a choice of our will to say, like, yeah, I actually actually think life would look better if I was holier, and I'm going to take the steps to do it. And then we have to have means. We have to have actual practices that will facilitate that transformation. And the prayer that Jesus taught us, the Lord's Prayer, along with prayers written down by saints throughout the history of the church, are a powerful tool for our transformation. Brian Zahn, writing on prayer, says the primary purpose of prayer is not to get God to do what you want him to do, but to be properly formed. Because what you pray shapes you into a certain kind of person. 
I was thinking about this today uh, uh, or earlier this week. Imagine, imagine that you want to get strong, physically fit. And, and if you can, try to, try to remove any ideas you have about how to do that from your mind. You've never been to a gym. You've never seen a trainer. You've never, um, you, you didn't go through like the president's fitness program in grade school. Like you don't have any tools for physical fitness. And you're like, man, I just, I want my abs to be strong. What should I do? I personally, I don't think that I'm going to lay down on the ground on my toes and my elbows and just like squeeze my midsection for 60 seconds. The plank is a weird thing. People doing planks look weird. It seems counterintuitive, but it strengthens you. If you said, like, man, I just, I really want my biceps and my chest to be stronger so I can lift heavy things. I'm going to get down on the ground and just, like, push myself off the ground repeatedly until I can't do it anymore. That's weird, but it works. See, generations of human beings have, through trial and error, figured out how to get strong. And we reap the benefits of that by being able to do what they have done and what has been proven to be effective over the years. Now, sometimes, like, you do the thing where you, like, wear the belt and it just shakes you. Have you ever seen those old, old movies? Like, that didn't work. They tried that. Didn't work. But then there's other things that are time-tested and true that will make you physically strong. And I think the same goes with our spiritual strength and prayer. Because when all we do is pray our own prayers, and just to be clear, I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. We should absolutely have a conversational prayer life with the Lord, bringing what your needs to Him and sharing your thoughts with Him. I think Scripture is clear about that. But if that's all we do, the only resources we have to draw on come out of our own hearts. Matthew 12 says, he's talking to the Pharisees, brood of vipers, how can you speak good things when you are evil? For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. Now, if you're a Christian here this morning, your heart has been transformed and made new by Christ, and you have good things in there, but they are limited by your own life experience and knowledge. And things aren't going to come out of your heart that aren't there. So a couple, I want to share a couple of prayers that are a part of my own personal practice. This first one is from Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. There are many days that I wake up in the morning and I do not feel that way. And it's the psalm. And it's also, you know, the psalmist talking to himself. Remind yourself of these truths. And that's what that does. Over the months and years that I have prayed this regularly, I have begun to recognize these promises sink deeper into my heart. 
This is a prayer that was written by a Christian named St. Francis of Assisi in, in the 13th century. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I might not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Now this isn't directly from Scripture, but St. Francis is drawing on the truths of our faith to ask the question, what is my job in the world today? What am I supposed to be about? And again, when I pray this prayer on a regular basis, it changes my perspective on the relationships I have, on the conversations that I have, on how I interact with my barista at the coffee shop. One more. Most merciful God, we confess that we've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we've left undone. We've not loved you with our whole heart. We've not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and humbly repent for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ. Have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. This comes from the Book of Common Prayer, which was written by a Christian named Thomas Cranmer in the 16th century. And it's a prayer of confession. It's in the, it's in the plural. Maybe if you were here last Lent, we substituted the Lord's Prayer for some prayers like this during the Lenten season. But for me, it's a daily reminder of my selfishness and my waywardness and the way that it manifests itself. Sometimes I do things that are sinful. Sometimes I don't do things that I should, and that's sinful. Sometimes my sin is just in my own mind. And praying a prayer like this digs up things that I'm not super interested in having dug up. But these words help me do that. And as Christians, we have access to the resources of the people of God throughout time as they've mined the scriptures and developed these prayers to give us new language that might not naturally come to us at first. And I believe that this kind of prayer is one of our most powerful means of transformation. Tyler Statton says, it has been said that in times of chaos, we do not rise to the occasion, we fall to the level of our training. In her book, Prayer in the Night, Tish Harrison Warren talks about the day that she was, uh, she found out she was miscarrying her child. And the way she found out that was the uh, large amount of blood that was gushing from her body. She was rushed to the ER. She had to go undergo surgery to stop the bleeding. And she called for, she's, a, she's an Anglican priest, she called for her husband to pray the Compline, which is the evening prayer service of the Anglican church, over her as she miscarried. And she writes, I had to decide again in that moment when I didn't know how things would turn out with my baby dead and my body broken whether these things I preached about God loving me, being for me, were true. Yet I was bone-weary. I was heartbroken. 
I could not conjure up spontaneous and ardent faith. And as countless nights before, the church, in the midst of my weakness, responded with her ancient voice. Here are some words. Pray them. They are strong enough to hold you. These will help your unbelief. And I think this is a really important component of internalizing the prayers of a church. Because when something terrible happens, we're not going to immediately ascend to some level of saintliness. We're going to, like Satan says, fall to the level of our training. So as you develop a rhythm of regular prayer, recognize that the resources that you have available from the people of God are there to help you to pray in ways that maybe don't come naturally. And that internalizing those resources is going to be one means that God uses to transform you. Make, make a habit of praying regularly. Pray the prayers of the church. And lastly, pray expectantly. Verse 5. He said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I don't have anything to offer him. Then he will answer from inside and say, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I have gone to bed. I can't get up to give you anything. I tell you, even though he won't get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his friend's shameless boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open for you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So at first, this story kind of makes God seem like a jerk, doesn't it? He doesn't really want to answer our prayers, but if we bother him enough, he'll just he'll do it just to get us get rid of us, right? Is that that kind of is the tone of the story? That's not what Jesus is saying. This is what's called a how much more parable. And Jesus often does this. He he gives a human example and he ends it with how much more will God be like this? We don't get the how much more part until verse 13 here. But the relationship we have with God in prayer is being contrasted with this man and his rude friend, not compared with it. Jesus is teaching us to trust God to answer our prayers because he is not like this friend. He is so much better, and he will gladly give good things to his children. And this is another difficult idea for us, not because it's hard to understand, but because it's hard to believe. Tyler Staten again says, if God answered every one of your prayers, what would happen? With the exception of one or two particularly bold or naive people, the answer is usually very little. I think the reality is that so many of us just don't pray, especially for things that might take faith to happen. But faith is exactly the criteria that God is looking for in his people. A slightly different topic, it's... um. It's budget season at Revelation Church. Our budget year runs from January to December, and so October is the time of the year when we uh, look at the numbers, and it's super fun. 
But we ask uh, Laura, who's our finance deacon, sends all of the budget numbers to our other deacons for the areas that they're responsible for. Music and children's ministry and administration and like snacks. That's a whole like piece of the pie is snacks. Um, and I've talked to some of our deacons about their budgeting and, and, and you, can, you can take a look at like, okay, this is what we budgeted last year and this is how much money we've spent and um, this is what we think we need. But what I've tried to encourage them to do is say, are you budgeting in a way that requires God to show up? Are you budgeting in a way that says, hey, if God isn't in this, it's not going to happen? Or are you playing it safe? This is, this is how much money we know is going to come in, and so we'll do this. And I'm always encouraging our leaders to say, hey, just a, just a little bit. What, what's that little piece of what you'd like to see happen that you think God is going to do this year that's a little bit of a stretch, that's a little bit of a reliance, that's a little bit of, like, I don't, I don't know how this is going to work, but I think God wants it to happen, and so I'm going to ask for it. And I think that's an example of what our prayer life should look like. Do you bring things to the Lord that would be impossible without him? Do you pray for things in which, like, you know, if God doesn't move, this isn't happening. I have no way to do this on my own. I find my tendency is to pray for things that are safe. Pray for things that, like, I'm pretty sure I can handle on my own even if God doesn't do want to show up, right? As we talk about rhythms of prayers, as we talk about praying the prayers of the church and transformation, we need to think about what we're asking for. Because Jesus says in this parable and his explanation of it that God will not hold, withhold good gifts from his children. It was my daughter Nora's birthday yesterday. And she's so much fun because, like, it doesn't matter what the present is. As soon as she sees it, she just screams and goes, oh, my gosh, this is the most amazing thing. She was, yeah, we, were, we were opening a present from her cousins. And she goes, oh, my gosh, you, I can't believe it. What is it? <laughs> Which doesn't matter. It's just the joy of getting gifts. And I love it as a parent. I just love seeing her thrilled by receiving gifts. And Jesus says, God is so much more thrilled about his children than we could possibly be. In Matthew's version of this story, Jesus says that God will give good things to those who ask him. And so we think about things like, God, I, I, I'd like a new job, or, or God, I'd, I'd love to be married someday, or God, I, I, I want to buy a home in this city. God, I'm sick. I'd love you to heal me. Sometimes we get really nitty-gritty and we're like, God, it's busy today. Help me to find a parking space at the mall. Those aren't bad things. God cares about those things because God cares about us, right? Again, I'm using Nora a lot today in this sermon, but she's got this uh, sticker by numbers book where there's these like, these like blank mosaics with all these numbers on them and there's all these stickers with corresponding numbers and you find the number and you put it on the sticker and it makes like a velociraptor at the end. And she'll come up to me sometimes and be like, Dad, I can't find number 44. Where's number 44? And if I'm honest, I don't really care about number 44. It doesn't really affect me very much. But I care about Nora. 
In the grand scheme of the universe, you getting a parking space at the mall, or even you being able to afford a home in Cooney County, not a big deal to God. But you're a big deal to God. God cares about you. And when you bring your needs to the Lord, he bends down low to listen. So my encouragement here is to ask God for things that matter to you. And if they're the wrong things, <laughs> pay attention to how he might be redirecting you to the right things. But here's the thing. In Luke, Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus says God will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. What does the Holy Spirit bring into our, into our lives? Fruit of the Spirit is joy, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If I take Jesus' words seriously here and make a habit of asking and seeking and knocking by saying, Father, may your name be honored as holy. Give us our daily bread. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Make me an instrument of your peace. Have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will. Do you think that God, through the power of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, will answer those prayers? I think that there's a pretty good chance that God will answer those prayers. Set aside the new job and the physical healing and the affordable housing. Those are all good prayers to pray, but as you make a habit of praying these things from the scriptures, from the history of God's people, these are things that God is most definitely going to answer yes by filling you more and more with his Holy Spirit and working that fruit out of your life. And then what sort of person will you become? Someone that looks a lot like Jesus. And if we, as a community, commit to the habit of praying these sorts of things, what sort of people will we become? And how will that change spread out into our workplaces and our neighborhoods and our schools? Part of the Lord's Prayer is, your will be done. How much better would it be for God's will to be done in our community if the church was active? noticing what that will was and being a part of it. And sometimes I think we, we think these are like small things. You know, help, help me to be more of a peaceful person and less angry. Help me to be more joyful. Help me to be more generous. Help me to be less lustful. And we think these like, these character qualities, they're fine, but they're not, they're not a big deal. Dallas Willard has a different thought. He says, families, churches, communities, and sovereign nations become embroiled in deadly conflicts that would immediately disappear or be resolved, but for the relentless will to have my way. Very likely the first world war with horrific worldwide consequences that reverberate to this day was entirely due to this human tendency. There's, there's, war happening right now in multiple places. The newest uh, arena is in Israel. The fruit of the Spirit is an instant resolution of that conflict. These are not small things. And as we seek the Lord to have them manifest in our lives, it will change us and it will spread. I think that's the way that this sort of prayer is transforming. 
Now, as we begin to wrap up, this, this whole conversation, though, is, is dangerous and it, it, because it can quickly become self-focused. It can spiral down into kind of a pipe, pop psychological, a self-actualization scheme, you know, standing in front of the mirror every day and saying, I'm good enough and I'm smart enough and doggone it, people like me. <laughs> Prayer can become this thing that we use to muscle through life or manipulate God with. But look back again to Jesus' promise. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? The Holy Spirit isn't a magical power. We were talking about this this morning in membership class. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is God himself. Philippians 1, Paul says, Yes, and I will continue to rejoice because I know this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and the help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Twice in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Multiple times in the Scriptures, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of God. This is the good gift from the Father, the Holy Spirit. In our work to be transformed into someone like Jesus, what do we get? We get Jesus himself. More specifically, we get the triune God living inside of us. All of the power and the ability, the forgiveness of our sins, the renewal of our minds, the strength of our wills, and the content of our character, it's all a gift of his grace. And it's a gift of himself. And this is the question that we all need to think about when we think about discipline, which is what this series is about, because discipline is hard. And we have to answer the question, do you, at the end of this, do you want God? Do you want more of God? Do you want a greater experience of God? Do you want to reflect his character and hear his voice and stand confident in his authority? Because if you don't ultimately want that, then all of this prayer stuff is pointless. We have this, this movement in the United States right now and in the Western world as a whole where, where Christianity is being rediscovered by um, secular people. And, and I, I don't know if you've noticed this, but like there'll be some like, famous uh, person, and they, they decided they're going to become a Christian. And the church rejoices because we need to have our identity validated by powerful people out in the world for some reason. But some of these more thoughtful people who have um, begun to explore Christianity see it as this pragmatic faith. You know what? Christian societies, Christian family structures, Christian laws... Um, if we paint Christianity over the face of our culture, our civilization will get better. And that might be true. But Jesus has a word for that. Whitewashed tombs. Beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, full of dead men's bones. The promise of the gospel is not a Christian culture or a Christian set of laws or an outward-facing veneer of goodness. It's radical transformation by the actual person of God in our hearts. And so if we 
have the perspective that we're going to do church so that God will be good to us or check off the boxes so that we get something from him, we are going down the wrong path. I see, contrary to that, though, the evidence of God doing amazing things in the lives of the men and the women of this church. Amazing things in multiple churches throughout our community. And as we close... I want to share one more prayer with you that I try to my best to pray every morning, which I continually see God answering in my life and the lives of those that I know. This again is from the Book of Common Prayer. Lord Jesus, you stretched out your arms of love upon the hard wood of the cross that everyone might come within the reach of your saving grace. So clothe us in your spirit that we, reaching forth our hands in love, may bring those who do not know you to the knowledge and love of you. For these all things pray in your name. That's my hope as we continue to mature as faithful followers of Jesus, that we will see more and more the opportunities to connect with our neighbors and our coworkers and our classmates and our friends and show them the light of the One of the most powerful ways that we will grow in that is through a regular rhythm of prayer. Let's do some Q&R. you speak into the differences of avoiding praying empty or vain repetition and praying frequently these prayers for the church to practice mystery? Yes, next Sunday. We're going to talk about that next week. Often, God answers my prayers with a trial to lovingly bring about his good gifts. How can we live in faith in the painful middle when it seems like the answer is the opposite of what I asked for? (sighs) Yeah. I think one of the things that has become clearer and clearer to me as I've walked with Jesus, as I've taken seriously his word, is that is not the exception, but the rule. For some reason, As we are called to follow Jesus, our following of Jesus leads to the cross. That doesn't mean Jesus' work on the cross is undone, but it means that Jesus says you will will suffer trials, you will suffer persecution. And I think we are unprepared for and yet I don't, don't think we should be. That doesn't make it any easier, right? Nobody likes to suffer. Nobody likes trials. Nobody likes to feel pain. 
But I think the greatest work that God does for us is done in the midst of our pain. C.S. Lewis famously said that pain is God's megaphone. If he intends to get your attention some way, it's probably not going to be comfort. Comfort's great. We can pray for comfort. We can rejoice in comfort. We can bless God for giving us comfort. But the times where we experience pain are the times that we can actually lean into God and trust him. And I think sometimes, sometimes the answer might be something that's the opposite of what you prayed for. But sometimes it might just be wait. There's a story, and I, I forget the reference, but it's in Kings. There's a king that meets with the prophet about his enemies. And the prophet tells him to uh, get some arrows out of his quiver and fire them into the ground. And he fires a couple arrows into the ground and he stops. The prophet gets angry and goes, why did you stop? If you'd kept firing those arrows, God would have given you this kind of a victory. But instead, he's just going to give you this small victory. And there's a lot of stuff we can unpack there. But one thing that I think is helpful is a lot of times we cut out too quickly. A lot of times in the midst of suffering, it gets too hard and we're done. God must not want me to do this because it hurts. And that might actually be where God wants you to be because he wants you to get through it. And just on the other side is understanding. When you're in the midst of, it was foggy this weekend, when you're in the midst of a bank of fog and you can't see hardly in front of your face at all, the fog could go on forever. And you could stop, turn around, 10 feet before it cleared. And I think the encouragement in that is that it's not so much getting out of the fog, it's staying in the fog. And I would just encourage you to surround yourself with people that are going to point you back to who God is and how much he cares for you midst of pain. Dylan, what books can we get our hands on to help us in building this habit? The Book of Common Prayer, one I can borrow. I don't have, I don't, I have a copy of the one I can borrow. Um, start with the Psalms, though. If you don't have, if, if, if praying the prayers of the church is, is foreign to you and you want to engage with it more deeply, um, that's what the Psalms are there for. And, and they, they cover the broad range of the human experience. There are going to be psalms where, like, the psalmist is just angry with God. Have you ever felt that way? There's going to be psalms where he rejoices in the goodness of the Lord, where he's depressed, where he's afraid. Use the psalms as part of your prayer life to start with. Uh, and if anybody needs more help, I actually have a, a couple things, a couple resources that I can share. But, um, yeah, I've, I've just found the practice of incorporating the prayers of the church into my life to be incredibly helpful. In the Lord's Prayer, every Sunday, we ask for our daily bread. And most of the time, this makes me think of my financial needs. 
you know, give me my daily bread is a, is a paycheck. But the communion table reminds us that Jesus is the true bread, the bread of life. His body broken is the bread we eat, and the blood shed is the cup we drink. And so this for us today is one more reminder that what we get from God is God. As you consider what it looks like to practice the spiritual discipline of a habit of prayer, ask the question, do you really want what God promises to give you, which is more of himself? And if, that's, if that answer today is yes, take this time as we take communion together and as we sing, take this time to thank him for his gift of himself to you, that, that he offers, that the infinite God of the universe offers himself to you in personal relationship. That's a beautiful and brilliant thing. But if you can reflect on that question, what do I want from God? And the answer is like, not really God, kind of these other things. I would just encourage you to invite him to show you why you feel that way. Be honest with that. That's another thing about the Psalms. Like, the psalmists don't pull any punches. Be honest with God about what's going on in your heart. And ask him what steps you need to take to stir up an actual desire for him. You've been listening to the Revelation Church Coeur d'Alene podcast. Learn more about Revelation Church at revelationcda.com.